This text is found in Luke chapter 5. I want to read these verses to you and then we'll unpack them in what I am and have been believing for you to have a moment with Jesus today. So let me read this text found in Luke chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. It says this, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds, everybody say crowds, right? That's important that we understand this picture. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water, So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper, we're going to talk about that here in just a second, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse 5, Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let, down the, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish they began to tear. A shout of help brought their partners in the other boat. And, as soon, uh, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Let me pray for us real quickly. Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you would do what no person, what no preacher can do. Do what you alone by the power of your Holy Spirit can do. That you would draw, you would attract, you would bring in close to you your sons and daughters that are in this room. That they may have a moment with the Master. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a little bit of insight into me. I was recently, my, my mother, uh, who lives up in Northern California, was kind of doing some spring cleaning and cleaning out the house and the filing cabinets and all this kind of stuff. And she called me on the phone. I think it was actually a video FaceTime uh, chat because we love technology and we can do that now. We're always connected. And so she said, hey, son, I found um, your file So apparently my parents were keeping a file on me of all of my stuff, like homework assignments and pictures and drawings. And uh, I think there might have been some things from kindergarten in there or whatever. But she said, I found your file and I was reading through your records. And I was like, this sounds like a court case. And she said, I found some of your report cards that your teachers uh, and progress reports that your teachers were sending home. And I had to ask her, I said, well, did you find any of my referrals, which was like the pink slip that you got when you got sent to the principal's office? And she said, no, we don't have a big enough filing cabinet for that. I was, I was a bad kid. I was a bad kid. And so uh, she started to read to me what some of my third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade teachers would write home as a part of my progress report. And um, one of the themes that would happen all the time is they would say this, Tommy um, decides which direction the class will go. 
Tommy is a natural leader and he chooses if it's a good day or a bad day. Tommy isn't living up to his potential. Tommy seems to be distracted and distracts the whole class. And so they were crying out for help from my parents. Please help us with Tommy because he's ruining my life. No, I don't think any of them said that. But they kept making this reference of the amount of influence and leadership and determination that I had to steer all of my fellow students in the classroom. And I do recall, this is just one story, I'm not going to give you all the dirty stories on me, but I do recall this one moment that I got in trouble for, Pastor Troy. I got in trouble for this. At my school, we had two days a week, it was Tuesday and Thursday, we had two days a week where they served chocolate milk. The rest of the days, you were stuck with just regular white milk, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they served chocolate milk. Well, that's just unacceptable. So I broke into the school kitchen multiple times, I should, I should say. I've already been busted for this, so I can confess the full story now. But multiple times I would break into the school kitchen and I would fill up an extra backpack that I brought to school with the chocolate milk. And I would sell chocolate milk out of my backpack on the white milk days. Which was to my benefit because three days a week it was white milk only. So I had a built-in market, right? Because the school wasn't selling them on those days. And I restocked from their share of the, of the supply because even though it wasn't a chocolate milk day, they still had it in the refrigerator over there. And then one day they busted me and I had a whole wad of cash from, actually it was coins because I was, I was selling them for like 50 cents a carton of chocolate milk. And it was, it was amazing. And I had all these kids lined up. I was very entrepreneur. Like this was elementary school. These are some of the things that I got called into the principal's office with those pink slips of why my parents couldn't file that. Here's my point. Here's where I'm going with this today. Jesus, when he called Peter, he didn't transform his entire identity away from what he used to be. He said, I'm going to take the fact that you were a fisherman and now you are fisher of men. Right, So many times what we think and feel about ourselves is that we, we buy this lie that our past somehow disqualifies us. That the things that we used to do, we need to walk completely away from rather than understanding what Jesus did here and what Jesus has done for me and what Jesus wants to do is he wants to reprogram, he wants to rewrite, he wants to reorientate what he's already planted in us. I already had leadership skills. I already had influence skills. I already was an entrepreneur. I just needed to submit those things to Jesus, right? I just needed the master to say, okay, okay, you, you, what you've got going on here, it's the right ingredients, but it's the wrong direction. Let me put you on the right direction. He took everyday ordinary things and he transforms those into a calling. How is it that God wants to take your skill set, what you already know to do, and transform that into a calling? He took an occupation and translated it into a mission. See, I thought I would just try to be the popular kid and run the class, that sort of thing. God's like, oh, oh, no, no. 
I'm going to transform that into a mission of leading people into their purpose and into their destiny. I want to transform the skill set that you already have. I want to transform your profession into a purpose. I want to transform what you already have. See, he didn't take Peter out of the fishing game. He just changed the bait and what he was fishing for. He changed the prize, right? He doesn't take you out of the game that he's given you the talents, the skills, and the, the ingenuity, and the creativity for. Rather, he just changes the bait, and he changes the prize. You don't know this about me. You might not want to know this about me, but um, I switched from the chocolate milk game to in the sixth, seventh grade, I started selling drugs. I know that's a big jump, but... And I was still doing it out of my backpack, if you believe that or not. And, and so I, it was still the same thing. Here's, here's, here's my point. For all my life, I've been pushing product. But on January the 14th, 1994, I had an encounter with Jesus that changed the product I was pushing. Changed the life. It changed the substance. It changed the outcome. See, rather than trying to have a little chocolate milk or have a little... LSD, that was one of the products I sold, right? Rather than those things that are temporary, the product that Jesus was like, okay, now I'm about to put what your occupation was at the time at 14, and I'm going to turn this into a mission. And I started to share Jesus with every person I knew. And I started taking the skills and the leadership that I already had and had been practicing and using, and, and I didn't even know God was setting me up the whole time. Now here, all these years later, I'm 42. I just had uh, January was my spiritual birthday. January the 14th, 1994, I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah. He takes our everyday ordinary living and he transforms it into a calling. Rather than thinking that somehow our past disqualifies us, what if we started looking at our lives through the lens of Jesus? The way Jesus would look at us and say, oh, I see that you're qualified for this. I see that you're gifted for this. I see that you're talented for this. I see that you're positioned for this. I see that your occupation could be transformed into a mission and a purpose that would change the world. We try so hard to forget our past rather than leveraging it to bring his kingdom here on earth. Right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? He leveraged what Peter already knew. So how does he do this? I've just got three things. And then I'm going to let you out on time because I want to be your favorite guest of all time by getting you out early. You, it, it might not be good, but it'll be on time, right? That's like, Pastor Troy, bring that guy back. Man, he let us out early. Here we go. What is it that Jesus does in our life to leverage these things and transform them? Number one is that Jesus leaves the multitudes for the one. Remember, he's preaching in front of the entire crowd. There's a multitude. And there is a massive multitude, so much so that they're pressing in on him. And he had to escape to the water so that he could preach to the whole crowd. But if you read this story, the story is not about the crowd. We are enamored with the crowd. 
Right? We're enamored with the crowd. You follow people on social medias, Instagram, Facebook, wherever it is. You see the highlight reel, and you're like, whoa, look at that crowd. You see a rock band, whether it's the Rolling Stones or whoever it is, right? And you're like, whoa, look at that crowd. You're like, whoa, Bono, he knows how to fill stadiums, right? Like, whoa, look at that crowd. Jesus wasn't enamored with the crowd. He was consumed by the one. And so he pushed away from the crowd so that he could be alone with Jesus. He started a movement by coming in close. His movement didn't start with the multitude. It started by coming in close to that one life, into the details of our lives so that he could awaken what is already in us. Let me just tell you this. You might not know this. You might not believe this, but I believe this about you, and I'm going to believe this for you until you believe it. There is greatness within you. There is greatness within you, and the only difference between you and somebody else who's realizing it is that has Jesus had an opportunity to awaken it yet? You were built. You were knit together in your mother's womb. With greatness in mind. Why? Because you weren't an accident. You might have been an accident to your parents or a surprise to them. You might have been a surprise to the world. You might be uh, weird. I don't know whatever terminology or box people want to put you in. But let me just tell you this. Everything about you is intentional and you were designed with greatness in mind. And what Jesus wants to do in your life is walk away from the crowd and get into the details of the one. That is how a movement begins. It's not with the masses. It's not with the multitude. It was with Peter, the one. The details of getting into his boat. He wants to get into your boat. I know that sometimes we like to speak in generalities about God. Oh, God moves for all of humanity. God moves over all of the earth. And while that is true, we fail to remember that when he hung on that cross right there, he did it for Tom Hamill. He did it for Troy Singletary. It wasn't just all of humanity. It wasn't the masses. He did that for me. He did that for you. Put your name there, right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's not about the crowds never impressed Jesus. The crowds never got Jesus' attention. It was always about the one. The woman with the issue of blood. When the disciples said, look at everybody pressing in on you. How can you ask who's touching you? Why? Because he got the attention of the one. He leaves the multitude for the one. He will leave the multitude for you. And you can't assume that all of the nitty-gritty details of your life are somehow unattractive to Jesus, that it somehow disqualifies you. But he's inviting himself into your life. That's what he does. Could you imagine the audacity if you owned a boat and some stranger walked up off the shore and was like, hey, I'm in your boat right now and I need you to push away. You'd be like, excuse me? You get into my boat, you're getting shot. No, no. <laughs> Right? You know, like, but that's what he, he just, he invites himself. Jesus is an uninvited guest waiting for you to invite him in. Zacchaeus in the tree, he's like, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. What? Well, I haven't phoned my wife to tell her I'm bringing company over. Right? If you got kids, you know, you got to give your wife a heads up before you bring strangers in the house. Or guests, even if they're not strangers, you're like, hey, babe, um, I don't know how this happened, but we bumped into each other at Wendy's, and now so-and-so's coming over. Just want to let you know. 
right? Why? Because I don't know what mess I'm walking into when I got kids. My house, when I have kids, is not always real estate ready, right? Like when you're trying to sell it and there's, you're doing it. Jesus just invites himself in, right? Matthew, the tax collector, he just shows up. It's about the one. Nicodemus in a dark alley. He's like, how can I be born again? Like he's always into the one. Movements begin when Jesus leaves the crowd for you. And when you leave the crowd for him. Movements begin when Jesus leaves the crowd for the one, you. And when you leave the crowd for the one, him. Number two, how do we get there? So number one was Jesus leaves the multitude for the one. If you're taking notes, I saw there was a little note card. So I want to be a a, a good follow, uh, someone that you could follow well. Number two is we got to go deeper. Right, that's what he says in verse uh, number four. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out into the deep and let down your nets to catch some fish, right? And, and we, we got to go down into the, we got to go out into the deep and let down our nets. What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, we as human beings, particularly in our Western society, is that, um, my watch is telling me that you're out, you're out of time. This is all you got. But I'm going to keep going for just a few minutes. I got one more point. Here we go. That we don't trust people. We're shallow with people. I don't, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people that look like you. You go to church with each other for a long time, but you've, you don't really know any business about them. You don't know any information about them. Like you've said hi to them. You're like, oh yeah, it's that one guy that sits over there all the time. That's about all you know. Like we're very surface level people here in our Western culture. In our Western society, we're not, we're not community, we're not, we're not tribe driven, we're not, you know, we're not village driven anymore. We're just very, um, we're anti-social living in a social network world, right? We open up our garage doors and we pull in and close them down behind us, never saying hi or greeting our neighbors or anything like that. We just don't really get into deep relationships with people. We are built with an anti-trust mentality, it seems like in this day and age. And Jesus, the way a movement begins and the way he wants to begin a movement with you is he's saying, no, 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 let's go into the deep things of your life. What you have to understand and what we know to be true is that Jesus knows every deep, dark crevice of my heart. He knows my agendas. He knows my motives. He knows my true intent. He knows the the secrets of my heart. He knows all of those things. He knows that I can't stand it when someone drives slow in the fast lane. I'm just like, just get over. He knows these things about me, right? And so what you have to understand is that the reason Jesus isn't interested in the crowd and is more focused on the one is because he wants to get into the deep things of your life. He wants to go into those places that you have a hard time opening up to. You have a hard time letting down those barriers. And, and again, when it comes to these nets, he says to Peter, let down your nets. And he was like, but, but master, we've done this already. We've been down that road. We've trusted people before. We've opened up our heart. And look, look at the wounds and look at the damage and look at the hurt that that relationship did. And look at the, the things that they did to, to me, right? And if I'm looking around this room, I know that there are, this is a room full of people who have broken promises in their life. People that you trusted became untrustworthy. And Jesus is calling you and I into the deep things of God. 
saying, I know you tried that before. I know you did that before. But I'm calling you to do it again. I'm calling you to trust again. I'm calling you to let down your nets again. I'm calling you to let down your guard again. I'm calling you to go into the deeper parts of your heart and your soul and get past the shallow parts of your heart. Take a risk. Try it again. Even if it's failed before, do it one more time. One more time, let down your net. One more time, trust for that miracle. One more time, believe for that harvest. One more time, believe for that net full of fish. One more time, believe for different results. One more time, I'm calling you into those deeper things, into that deeper place. One more time. He's saying, let's not be shallow because of past disappointments. Let's not be shallow because of past successes. Think about this for a moment. I'm no fisherman. I actually hate fishing. I love to eat fish, but I don't love to catch them, and I certainly don't like to clean them. If I, as a preacher and not a fisherman, got into your boat and said, hey, I think you need to go over there and catch some fish, dude, you might say to me, I've been fishing my whole life. I'm telling you right now, with my entire lifetime of experience, that is not the place fish go to hide. That's not the place fish go to eat. I'm not going over there. I'm like, trust me, that's where the fish are. That's exactly what happened here. Jesus was a professional master, rabbi, teacher, preacher. He was not a professional fisherman. And here he is telling the professional fisherman where to go, how to do it, what to do, right? All those kinds of things. Now, Peter had a choice. He could focus on his current failure... Jesus, we've been, we've been fishing all night. There ain't nothing out here. He could focus on his past successes. You know what we used to be, Pastor Troy? You know what we used to do? You know how I used to win all the time? You know what we used to? If we could just get back to the glory days and we can focus on our past successes and not listen to how Jesus is calling us into deeper things. Because we're only focused on our current failure and our past successes. And not what God wants to do now in this moment with the one. Final thing, and this is where we're at, and this is where I'm going to challenge you today. So I've asked the band to come. Number three is realize and obey. Movements aren't started in the crowds. They're started in the moment. They're started in the moment. What were those moments? It's Joseph's moment in the prison. It's Esther's moment of prayer. It's Daniel's moment before the king. It's David's moment as a shepherd. Where It was David's moment as a shepherd that he learned that he could destroy the beast of the earth and that Goliath would be nothing. But it wasn't his Goliath moment. It was his shepherd moment. It was Paul's moment on a road. It was Martin Luther's moment at a door. It was William Seymour's moment in Los Angeles where they padlocked him out of the church because he believed in the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Movements are born in a moment where we make a decision. The word decision means to cut off all other options. Jesus is confronting us with a decision. He confronted Simon with a decision and later on he even asked about that decision where he says, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 15. Actually, verse 16 says this. You're the Christ, 
the son of the living God. And he was like, that's how I'm going to build my church. And it was in a moment. Think about this. Let me give you the synopsis of Peter's life. Jesus got into his boat. He went out into the deep. He realized and obeyed who Jesus was. And so he says, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. Later on in Acts chapter 2, it says this, verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. He's talking about the day of Pentecost. Listen carefully to what I say. And verse 40 sums it up this way. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and it was about 3,000 added on that day. We like to look at the end results. Peter preaches and there's 3,000 saved. But it didn't begin with the crowd. It didn't begin with the 3,000. It began with a moment in a boat going into the deep.